pray, Abba, Father. Thank you, Linda. Okay, you ready to go? Put on your seatbelt. We're going to go through this. Uh, Father's Day, we're going to try to juggle several things. Uh, I've titled this one, An Audience of One, and Authenticity for Many. And uh, as I think about what Paul is doing uh, in the book of First Thessalonians, as we're following through the journey of Paul, wherever Paul stops, we're stopping there and studying that book. And he's in the city of Thessalonica. And it's a Greek city, as you know. It's a city that uh, is not fully influenced by the Jewish population like it would be in other cities, in Ephesus or in uh, Turkey, Asia Minor. But this is really a pagan city. It's a missionary outreach. It's a church plant way beyond what is normal because you're in the far west, a philosophically, culturally different world. And as I think about what Paul is trying to do along with Silas and Timothy, uh, their job is quite an extraordinary job. If you're in the ministry, and we are all in the ministry, remember, I am not called to the ministry. We are all called. And therefore, we all have the same vision and mission and purpose as Paul does, is to help people come to know Christ and to make him known. But to do that in this particular case, there's some things about what Paul did, uh, what Paul came to understand about who God is as Father. And so I wanted to talk about uh, the notions that Paul had as a father and then to go back into the scriptural teaching of what Jesus knew of his father and then to think about what Paul is trying to pick up from and teach to the Thessalonians and then it will come back to us as to think about what the Thessalonians came to know about God as Father. And then we'll bring it down to our level. What do you know? What do I know about God the Father? So let me just start this by thinking about the notion of fatherhood has changed through the years. Remember these old uh, shows uh, where Robert Young and uh, father knows best. If you grew up with these, I see some smiles on the face. Uh, these are the old uh, 1950s Leave it to Beaver where dad was dad and dad could do no wrong and father knew what was best. And you see this in uh, Fred McMurray and my three sons. Da, 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 da. And life is pretty much stable because dad was part of that greatest generation. We knew about respect. We knew about responsibility. We knew about relationships in the sense that a man's word was a man's word. You didn't have any confusion. Things were pretty stable. And then uh, Hoss Cartwright, and uh, you, uh, you had you had bonanza of, of all kinds of images of men being men and fathers to their sons, and yet. Uh, that was in the 50s and 60s, and it changed. Boy, the way Glenn Miller played. Songs that made the hit parade. <laughs> and all of a sudden, the notion of father took a hit on the chin, where you had this blue-collar uh, dummy 
racist, not with it kind of dad. It's just kind of practical, don't make me think about social issues. And then you've got Sanford and Son, and, and the image got worse as you had the Simpsons. And so the idea that dad was a joke became uh, a kicking bag, a, a, a sort of a, a blunder. And then you had Robin Williams trying to be one of the kids dancing on the table in Mrs. Doubtfire. You, you think about these notions of, of what kids grow up with. And one movie in particular stood out to me was a, a movie by Pat Conroy called The Great Santini. If you've never seen this movie, it's a great and powerful movie because The Great Santini uh, is a real reflection of Pat's relationship with his father. He, his father, he says, uh, went to a circus when he was a child and he saw this acrobat on a high wire act and for about five to ten minutes he was mesmerized by this man who was doing all this acrobats on this high level wire without a net. And the more that father, that little kid saw that acrobat said, he can do anything and there's no danger, there's no fear, and he was watching, he was mesmerized. Well, Pat Conroy's dad grew up and became a fighter pilot. And when they talked about uh, doing acrobatics in a jet fighter, he got the name. He was the great Santini. There was nothing that he was afraid of, absolutely nothing. And without fear he would charge into any situation and the great Santini was a military man organized controlled dominant fighter you would not get away with this guy and this story is about a man who as a father ran his family like the military and expected and demanded his sons to shape up and they would have regiment at the house so much so that if there was anything that was in out of line the dad would just bite his son. So one time they were playing basketball and the son was not doing well and he took the basketball and bounced it off the kid's head and he was kind of, he's not just rough, he was abusive. That story of how fathers shape the image of their sons in, in ways that scar them. There's another story you may have heard of Robert Redford and the Horse Whisperer, like this show. But uh, the true story behind this is when Robert Redford became one who was able to be sensitive to the horses, what you may not know is that the, the actual training for Robert Redford in dealing with those horses was done by a man named Buck Branaman, who was a Shirley Temple type of kid he and his brother would be put on stage and his dad would be just like the great Santini. You are going to perform. And he would make his kids do the rodeo, the roping. And, and these kids were paraded all the way through the rodeo uh, culture and they became famous. And if they didn't perform, they were beaten. Beaten severely. So much so that Buck said when his father's truck would roll on that gravel, he would start to tremble. And I know men, they got one of the guys in the Stake and Shake Bible study at 78, to this day when he thinks about his father, he trembles. It's not a healthy thing. So when I think about some of the men that Paul would have to deal with in a Roman Greek 
military mindset back there in, in Thessalonica, no doubt they were not the men that we think of as being loving fathers. And therefore, the work of the ministry that Paul would have to do to see God work in the lives of men and women there through the gospel was, sub, was uh, such a miracle because the miracle is this that it is Jesus Christ who's out to change the way that you think about God as Father. And that notion that you have, that I have, that Paul would teach to the Thessalonians, is that the Father that he knew or came to know was not the Father that he grew up with. We don't know much about Paul's Father. We don't know much about the Father of Christ, except they were just there and then gone. And there are some places... Some people you know that there are fathers who are totally absent. That was true in my story. My dad died when I was 10. As I've told the story before, my dad coming back from the Korean War probably had some post-traumatic stress that was unrecognized. But my father committed suicide when I was 10. And so I grew up without a father, and the emptiness and the absence has has left a scar uh, on my life. But this notion that God would be involved and present was some uh, uh, just a black hole for me. But not only for me, it's just like for, for all of us, we all have fallen short and we fall short of the notion that God is the Father that he claims to be. And we do not know the Father. And therefore the role of the ministry of Christ is to change what you know about God as Father through the relationship that Christ had with his Father. And so, real briefly, if you get into Matthew 6, it, just the passage of Matthew 6 alone would be enough uh, to open the door. But Ma- Matthew would say, uh, Jesus would say in Matthew that when you start to talk about God, I want you to talk about him not, not with a, uh, an official um, traditional um, high liturgy, I want you to make it not an impersonal service. I want you to make it very, very personal. And so when Jesus said and taught, when you talk to God, call him Abba. That must have been a radical shift for someone who couldn't say the name of God. And they'd always spell the name without the vowels. You don't talk to God on that personal level. Jesus said, yes, you do. And when you pray, you say, our. Because collectively, this God as Father has a family, and that family is brothers and sisters, and so it's our Father who art in heaven. But he went on to say that this Father knows and sees and will bless you. He will reward you. But he's not interested in you doing a performance it's not that you earn or by works you're saved or by works you get blessing. It's he rewards you, not because of your public persona or your public performance. He rewards you because he loves you. And when you do that, it's a personal thing. So Christ says, when you go into talk with God, go talk with him in private. And your father who sees in secret, he'll, he'll respond to you. He'll reward you. He says, your father sees. Though you don't see him, he does see you. And Jesus would teach much about how you enter into this relationship with God. 
But this line really caught me as a young Christian. Your father knows what you need even before you say anything. That caught me. My father knows. I don't have to say anything. He knows. He understands. And he can empathize as a high priest or a prophet or a king or lord or savior or counselor. Whatever I need, he'd be there for me. Your father knows what you need before you ask. He feeds the little guys, the little birds. You're more important than the little birds. Of course, you're more worth, but your heavenly father knows. This must have been so radical for a group of people who were so ritualized that they thought that they began to think that this God of Jesus, he knows him in a way that we don't know him. And therefore, the thing that Jesus would always do in those miracles, whatever they were, if it's the blind or the leper, the, the, the feverish child, they were all signals to the fact that God cares for his kids. And yet Jesus would go on. And therefore, the mission of Christ was not only to bring salvation, and the redemption, but it was to show his father. Primarily, it was to reveal who he understood God to be. And so it says in John, and of his fullness, that fullness of understanding of God's relationship to the son, that fullness is what Jesus would pass on. And we received it, grace upon grace. Grace and truth were realized, came, became a reality through his son Jesus. And he would go on to say, John would go on to write, and said, no one, no one has ever seen God. Only Jesus. He has explained him, interpreted him, exegeted him. He makes God palpable because Jesus knows the Father in a way that we don't know. And, and the good news is, is that the spirit that was in Christ is the same spirit that's in you, and the same relationship that Christ had with the Father is the same relationship that you and I can have with the Father. That's, the, that's radical. And so these miracles is not only the physical healing, but the miracle that your heart would change in such a way that you would love God the way Jesus would love God. That's a miracle. That's a miracle. Jesus is the one who reveals the Father to us. If we want to know what the Father is like, all we have to do is look at Jesus. If you want to know how the Father cares for people, you look at Jesus. If you want to know the Father's will for our lives, you listen to Jesus. And that's what that notion of Christ's understanding of the Father, he begins to open up and heal those father wounds, heal that ignorance, heal that, that understanding that God isn't the great Santini with the law expecting you, pounding you, beating you. Oh, no, not that, not that way, Jesus said. But Jesus would walk with his Father. He participated. No matter what he saw the Father doing, Jesus was walking step by step in the Spirit with his Father. And he would say, my Father's working into now, and I too am working, not just the independent, they're working jointly. So whatever Jesus would see his Father do, he did. And that became the accusation. You're calling yourself equal to God. Yes, he was. 
because he was the reflection of God incarnate, doing on earth what only God can do for us. My Father is working into now, and I am also working. And when you think about the fact that God in Christ was not just a special time to reveal who he was, God is always going to reveal who he was because God is uniquely uh, God. He is and can only be what he is uniquely always was and uniquely always was. He never changes. And therefore, that father image from Adam all the way to the end of Revelation and the second coming for us, when we get back home, we're going to see the guy that we don't know very well yet. And the time came when Jesus was with his disciples right before the cross. And he says, his time on earth had come to an end. And he knew he was going to go back to the Father. How much he longed to be with the Father. And knowing that the men that he had been given, he had kept for the Father's purposes. He was going to leave and go back. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. That's what the Father does. He loves us to the end. And therefore, Jesus would say to these men, in my Father's house, you have a place. He's going to go prepare a place for you because my Father is your Father. And my Father's place is your place. Jesus would say later on, he says, uh, I'm going and you know the way. And they said, we don't know the way. And Jesus said, uh, yes, you do. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And this is the story of the patience of God because Philip, Philip says um, at this point, right before the cross, Philip says, uh, you know, Jesus, if you just show us a father, it'll be enough. And Jesus answers, don't you know me, Philip? Don't you know me? Have I walked with you for so long, Philip? And looking at Thaddeus and looking at James the Less and looking at, this, don't you know me? And he knew they did not know him in the way that they would come to know him because after that cross and after that resurrection and after the Pentecost, there would be a radical shift in the notion that these men that he gave his life to, he would give up to the Father and the Spirit would come and change, continue to change that notion. Don't you know me, Philip? Even after I've been with you such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? In the words I say to you, I don't speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me, doing his work. Amazing. Believe me, Jesus would say, when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or at least believe on the evidence of the works. But the notion that he wanted them to understand the Father and that he was the reflection, that's the, that's the difficulty that you and I have. It's the difficulty that the Thessalonians had. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I've been doing. And they will even do greater than these because I'm going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father would be glorified. 
And if you read the scriptures and you don't get this because we just take it for granted, it's this intensity that Jesus had an audience of one. He only cared about what the Father wanted him to do. And I will do whatever you ask so that the Father may be glorified and honored. You may ask me for anything in my name and I'll do it. And I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate a helper, a paraclete, one who's going to come alongside you like I have come alongside you because as the Father has sent me, the Father will send him and you won't be left alone because he's not a father. He is the father of the fatherless. He's adopting his kids and I will love them and I will show myself. How do you come to know God as Father? How did the Thessalonians come to shift from a pagan God, a stone statue to serve the living and true God, to turn away to understand this father that Paul was talking about? It's by obeying his son. And so Paul would teach the Thessalonians, you have to follow Christ, because in following Christ, you will come to know the father. Whoever denies the son, John would say, who denies the Son does not have the Father. And whoever confesses the Son has the Father. It's pretty simple. You're either in or you're out. You know him or you don't. You're saved or you're not. You have this relationship where the Spirit of God is really drawing you to the very God who made you, created you, fathered you, redeems you, and draws you. How do you get to know the Father? It's this obedience to the Word, to to the Lord. It's the obedience that opens the door of the Spirit of wisdom. And if you obey and if you follow this Christ, you have an audience of one. And that audience of one, when God steps into your heart and you begin to see how wonderful of a Father He is to you, you leave that Father wound behind. You leave that darkness behind. You step into a relationship that Jesus had. And then he said, everyone the Father gives me. And then you understand, you are a gift to the Father. And you are a gift to the Son. And you're God's blessing the, uh, his Son by giving him you, and you give him yourself back to the Father through Christ. Wow, this is, this is so interesting because when God gives you the salvation faith, Jesus assures that he's going to lead you all the way to the end. No one will be able to pluck you out of his hand, he said. And therefore, I will never drive away anyone who comes to me. I've come down to do that will. My will is to get your notion of God aligned with what the God of the Bible says he is. And I will do his will. And so Jesus said, I say to you, the son can't do nothing by himself. Likewise, we say the same thing. We echo what Christ echoes when we have this understanding that we have the same relationship with the Father that Christ had. Then we begin to act like Christ in the relationship with the Father. I do, I listen, I speak. I see, I imitate, I follow. Well, whatever he sees the Father's doing, uh, the Son does. Whatever the, the Father does, the Son also does. So here's what Paul says. 
Paul has come to understand it's not about religion. It is about this relationship. And in an excitement, Paul is let out to say, it's no longer about my ethnicity. It's no longer about my religiosity. It's about the Father. And if you see this, when Paul writes his letters over and over and over again, and I just bolded this so you can see this, to the Thessalonians, again, remember, pagan statues, mythical uh, belief systems, philosophical. Here comes the living and true God. And Paul says to the Thessalonians, to the called ones, the ecclesia, those sanctified, those set apart by the Father, uh, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus, grace to you and peace, constantly bearing in mind your work of faith, your labor of love, and your steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus, the Son, in the presence of God the Father. And if you don't, if you, it's so easy to pass over these things because we just take them for granted. Knowing, brethren, his beloved by God, his choice of you. And he goes on in two, he says, Just as you know how we were exhorting and encouraging and imploring each one of you as a father with his own children. This is the notion that Paul has that this is what God does with you and me. God as father exhorts. What's that mean? It means you pick up the little tyke and say, here's the way you should go. <laughs> no, you're going the wrong way. Knock him off and if he falls down. You, you walk with him, but you help him get stronger, stronger day by day. But you don't quit. But you're walking with him to guide him, exhorting him. Here's what you should do. Here's what you need to know. You'll do fine, son. Affirming. Encouraging. Well, the great Santini never encouraged Pat Conroy. Never. So many men don't encourage. They deflate and destroy. But our God encourages, affirms, blesses, enjoys, rejoices. Goes on and on. Our notion of God is one, if we, if we were to understand how much the Lord really loves us, enjoys us, rejoices over us, his banner over us is love, we wouldn't struggle as much because we'd be too busy trying to please him. Our audience of one would be established. Now, Paul would say, may the God of our Father himself and Jesus direct our way to you. May the Lord cause you to increase and abound in love. This is what the God of heaven does. He increases your heart for himself. He increases your love for people. He sets you free, as the apostle Paul was called the apostle, the heart set free. If you have God as the audience of one, you don't have to worry about anybody else because you are secure with a love that you didn't earn and cannot lose. So he would establish your hearts without blame in holiness. This is what Christ does. He gives you his reputation. He imputes his righteousness. And you move in a relationship without fear. But you run to the Father. And he says that this God establishes, stabilizes your heart before our God and Father at his coming. Again, another heartbeat in the Thessalonian, Christ is coming again. So John goes on to say, 
that if you don't honor the Son, you won't honor the Father. If you're not honored as a Christian, then uh, understand that God wants to honor you. You don't need to get your respect or your success or your uh, strokes from any human being because God is enough. You and God make a majority. And if God is your audience, you understand where you stand. You understand you're fully accepted. If, if you know God this way, as Christ would say, that you are approved. As Paul would say, God has approved us. And therefore, Paul had the notion that God really loved him. It was using him to teach other people who didn't know about him because God, uh, because God had accepted Paul. If God, is, if God is your audience, your motivation is to please him because he entrusted you with a message. And that message Paul took out to the Thessalonians. And you don't worry about what people say or think or struggle with because your audience is you just simply want to bring that same notion of God the Father to those who don't know him as God the Father. But you speak to please him. You don't have to impress you don't go there to exploit. Uh, you don't have to perform. I don't have to come up with my own commentary. This is his word, not mine. And therefore, it makes it, he makes it easy for us. But you have a motivation that you don't take advantage of others. And that's the evidence that the Thessalonians saw. And therefore, if God is setting your heart free, then you are authentically free to be who you are in every relationship. Because you have an audience of one, you can be authentic with everyone. Your identity and purpose is wrapped up in your understanding of this Father's relationship with you and his purpose for you. And you understand how you fit in. And therefore, we understand that call from Paul would go on to the Thessalonians and teach what he taught in Philippi and everywhere, that if God, this God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ wants you, then you want to honor him, and you want to honor all the fathers. So Paul understood this role of the Father as the notion that would be reflective of who God is. And therefore, the commandment is to honor, honor, not only God the Father, God the Son, but to honor the very Father that you have been given. And that's another pot of coffee that we get into. But the idea that you are called as, a, as a, a man or woman to have an audience of one and then to reflect the Father to all those around you. We know our Father knows best. He doesn't have three sons. He has more than three sons. <laughs> he has thousands and thousands and thousands of sons. And therefore, as Paul's moving into the Thessalonians, these Thessalonians are going to become part of that family, and that family is going to know that God, the living God, and they're going to go tell other people about who this wonderful Father is. Well, we get caught up today because it's Father's Day, but today I just wanted to hit, bring these two together to say, we have a good, good Father. And because you know Christ, you too are a good, good Father to the degree that you're obeying and following Christ and reflecting that heavenly Father on earth, your kids are blessed. Your neighbor's blessed. The city's blessed. And God is pleased. Well, happy Father's Day to you.
And as you go home, honor your fathers. Even, even though they may not be present, they may have gone on and passed on before you. But thank God, thank God that he has given you all these graces as you begin to think about what God has done in your life has blessed you. Let's pray. Father, thank you that that word happy, that word blessed, uh, we are blessed because you are our Father. We thank you that Jesus has come to exegete and explain to us, even though we're slow like Philip, we, we see Christ, uh, your Father, as you reflected him in your, in your life and ministry. Father, I pray that you would just continue to open our eyes to see you and see your son, that we might be the reflection to our kids and the next generation. So, Father, be pleased. You are our audience. And give us that freedom to walk in that, that grace that you have. Again, we love you for all this. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.